This is Josh Trent. This is Wellness and Wisdom. Thank you for clicking. Let's drop in today on this very special interview. This is a replay from Dr. Jin Ong. She's the host of a podcast called The Art of Listening to Your Body. It is very few and far between that I go deep with a host like Dr. Jin, and I had to share this episode with you. I actually my soul said, share this. It was so good. When we finished, I asked her, can I share this with my audience? Now, this may or may not be the perfect place for you to start. If you're looking for an in-depth guest interview, that's on Tuesdays, where we go deep into the five sides of the wellness pentagon of the physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, or financial ways that we can nourish ourselves. Now, you can head over to the link. It's joshtrent.com forward slash 434. In this episode, you're going to learn about healing parental wounds, emotional inventory, sexuality, healing through compassion, how to look back with compassion, well-being in the modern world, and so much more. I really loved the skill set that Dr. Jin Ong had on the Art of Listening to Your Body podcast. She is an intuitive She has a medical background and she asks really, really good questions. So shout out. You can go to theartoflisteningtoyourbody.com forward slash podcast if you want to check out some of her episodes and let us know, how did this resonate? Do you have parental wounds that you're healing? Do you need compassion in your life? Don't we all? Do you understand the true essence of sexuality? Do you need an emotional inventory? How do you thrive in this modern world? Leave us a review, joshtrend.com forward slash review, or you can just tap the player you're on right now, Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening. It helps these conversations reach more people across the world. Let's jump in right now with Dr. Jin Ong on the Art of Listening to Your Body podcast. This podcast is brought to you by my friend, John Laurence and mitozen.com scientific. This is the Zen vertical spray plus Zen extra strength with oxytocin. I love this spray. If you head over to joshtrent.com forward slash mitozen, M-I-T-O-Z-E-N, joshtrent.com forward slash mitozen, you will get a 10% off coupon for this spray. Now, why is this spray so important? If you're a breathwork practitioner, if you enjoy meditation, if you have trouble calm down. This is an immediate, and I snap my fingers, an immediate response to your nervous system through the vagus nerve, all the way into the sinuses, down the back of the cranium, into your enteric nervous system. This is going to make you feel well. I promise you, I've been using this spray for almost two years now. It's got hape, oxytocin. It really just takes your sympathetic nervous system and turns the volume down so you can breathe easy. I've introduced this to hundreds and hundreds of people now. They all love it. It is powerful. It is bringing you peace. Get your Zen extra strength with oxytocin. The coupon is automatically applied if you just go to that link, joshtrend.com forward slash mitozen. But if for some reason the code doesn't automatically apply, just type in wellness force. You get 10% off your entire order. Make sure you check out the Sandman bullets and all the other things from Dr. John Lawrence. Now let's get into the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. This has been long awaited. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. that we could finally make this happen. And I feel like we're just on the same wavelength whenever we jump on and have a chat with one another. I really enjoyed my interview with you. And I know that you've got so much wisdom to share with all of us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It, when I find that things marinate for a moment, they usually are pretty good when there's a long wait for things. So I trust in that. Yeah, we've been marinating for quite a few months. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Here we are. 
<laughs> All right. So I always love to know you are what looks like a successful podcaster, but where have you come from? What's your background? What's your pain story? Tell me all of the things. And then I'm sure that'll open up the can of worms for us to have an amazing discussion. Yeah. I mean, maybe we could use the construct of, of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, which, you know, he was a huge researcher into myth and story. And so there's this separation, initiation and return for my pain story. And really, I think it was what my soul chose to have a mom that was struggling with bipolar when I was young and to have a dad that that left pretty early. I think I was two months old or something like that. I was born and my parents didn't work out. So my soul chose this like deep, dark contrast to come into to learn what it feels like on the opposite side of pleasure. And fast forward without the right kind of support and, you know, bless my parents. Like they truly did the best they could with the level of intelligence and consciousness they had. But flash forward, I'm like 22 years old. I'm drinking at a party, you know, those like red party cups where people play beer pong. And I looking in the cup, I look down, there's this big belly I'm looking at. And I just was not happy. And my pain story really started, I think, at the seeds of being bullied in high school and being overweight for a long time and not feeling um, comfortable in front of girls, really wanting to connect with girls, but always also feeling rejected for the majority of it. And so that kind of created inside of my psyche, this hole where looking back now, I can have some compassion for this young soul, just did not feel supported, did not feel loved, did not feel like life really had a purpose. And so then flash forward, I'm 22, I'm drinking at a party, which honestly, a lot of us have done in our lives in our 20s, lots of drinking goes on. And I put the cup down and I just said, there's got to be more to life than this. It was maybe like the first time ever in my whole existence up to that point that I had actually felt the presence from pain, by the way, of a higher power, of something else out there. And Jen, I ran home drunk. I ran home like three miles. I was like, I'm done with this. I can't stand this anymore. That took me on a journey of, of losing and gaining a hundred pounds. And then after that, moving to Hawaii, selling every possession I owned, and then finding the ocean and the feminine energy of the ocean and surfing. And then I found personal training out there and I was a fitness professional for 10 years. But there was really a part of myself, like on an emotional level, that was not being healed. And I didn't even honestly know how to heal it at that time. But I was shining all this light on other people, being a fitness professional for 10 years and 10,000 hours with clients and doing really great work. But as I was shining the flashlight on everyone else, the, the handle was pointing towards the darkness in myself that was not being illuminated. And so I had a huge dark night of the soul then, left the fitness industry, went to the corporate world and tried to be in fitness and health in the corporate world, committed spiritual suicide, did not like that, and then had another dark night of the soul and really came to podcasting and found podcasting through. Honestly, you know, while you're while we're sharing this, it was three big cycles of separation, initiation, and return, three really big cycles culminating in 2015 at the start of what was then Wellness Force Radio and what is now the Wellness and Wisdom podcast. So that's the super short journey. There's a lot more in there, but but essentially it was it was from my own pain. I think a lot of us that are either healers or people that support and help others, we have to, it's part of the design, we have to go through our own pain in order to know what it feels like. Mm, and there's probably more evolutions to come, right? <laughs> 
Yes, but God have grace. God have grace. <laughs> Enjoy the gap in between is what I call it yeah, now. Yeah. I used to say that there was a gap when you are going, what if all the things that could go wrong when you're waiting for a diagnosis, but then there's also a second gap to mind for, and it's the gap in between the pain and to actually make the most of that. Yeah, that's a good point. Like sitting, uh, David Data, someone I studied for a long time, he calls it the the place between our stories. And I've mm. also heard a couple other people say that in their own words. It's like when one layer of purpose has been dissolved, there's this space of limbo of not knowing or just of in-betweenness, if that's even a thing, before the next purpose or the next start of the journey arises. And for some people that can be like the most uncomfortable place because there's literally no plan. There's no PDF. There's no guide. It's just you, your breath, and your thoughts, and your way of being, which can be very confronting. Absolutely. And that's a theme that's coming up with the groups that I'm working with at the moment is one of the best places, I think, is when you have no idea what's coming and the world is as full of possibilities. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. So many people find that uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And maybe rightly so from the capital T, lowercase t trauma they've been through. I mean, who am I to judge them? I've definitely felt like that too. But now maybe in my 40s, I can say that, you know, it's really not that bad. It's just that my my mind, based on past memories associated, makes it harder than it actually is. Yeah. So what's the timeline that we're talking about where you had your awakening? I mean, 25 years. I was 20. It took me two years to move to Hawaii. And so from 24 all the way up until now, um, yeah, I'm I'm 42 now. So almost 20 years of really going through, I guess you could say the, you know, when you bowl, there's the gutters. And then if you bowl straight down the lane, there's a strike going in and out of the gutters, sometimes bowling strikes, but spending a lot of time kind of flailing all over the lane to then figure out, oh, I'm actually the one throwing the ball. I don't have to choose to go into these gutters. I can actually just do the best that I can to experiment and just be curious about this life. I mean, that's the whole, honestly, Jen, that's like the whole point of my business, of my podcast is how do I live my life well? That's the question I've been asking since 2015 and really ever since I was a little kid. You know, mm-hmm. why do adults treat each other so poorly? How do I live my life well? What's this all about? How do I, how do I have mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial wellness? How do I nourish those parts of myself? And honestly, like it's it's definitely been, I would say, the journey of all journeys, as I know that every human being has their own. But I think for me, what's what's been like the tug or the magnetic pull has been this question of what is possible? What is actually possible for my life? And how can I achieve that potential without harming myself, without hurting my own health, without making myself sick because I work so much? You know, like all the ways that I think we all walk this shared journey of like, we know what's possible and and we're fired up to go get it. But then also in, in the process of going and, and achieving our potential, or, or if I guess you could say accessing our highest self, there sometimes becomes these choice points of integrity where we outsource our power to other things or uh, ceremonies or people, or we just start outsourcing so much of ourselves that we forget what it's like to just know where the answers are and touch ourselves and speak to ourselves exactly where we are without any other external inputs. And I would say that's also been part of my journey. 
Yeah. And I know that I definitely want to dive into that. And I think it's most powerful when we hear it from your perspective, moving through pain to where you are right now. I would love a little bit more detail of what I call the undesirable manifestations. So how was (laughs) it that you experienced your pain on a physical, mental, behavioral, energetic level and all of the above back in the day? So 280 pounds is a lot of weight to carry. And I was 18 years old. I'd played high school football and I was carrying a lot of muscle. And I've always been one of these people that just carries more muscle. So I'm just a bigger person. But when I stopped playing athletics, all the weight stayed on the body and I didn't have good nutritional habits. I didn't really know. I just didn't have the intelligence. I hadn't gone through the the training and education yet. So without the right tools, both, you know, psychologically and emotionally, how could I not experience anything other than pain and the manifestation of really severe digestive issues, lots of internal fat, which is the mesentery fat, the one that surrounds your internal organs, and then also lots of subcutaneous fat and and different pains and aches on the body. And it really manifested to the point where I, I was at that party, like I shared with you, and I literally could not live like that anymore. I mean, I can go back there right now and I can feel it like the level, honestly, of self-hatred. And, and people will say that sometimes, you know, um, I'm sorry, people will say that hate is never a good thing. And I would actually say that it, it's part of the human journey to experience the emotion or the feeling of disgust or hate. It's not a place we ever want to live in or spend a lot of time in, but it can be a radical motivator. And so for me at that age, I hated myself so much and I hated God. I hated the world. I hated the fact that society was the way it was. I mean, I had a lot of hate and a lot of grief and anger that was really manifesting through that extra weight. That's what it does. And also some skin issues, but nothing really major. I mean, acne from eating the wrong foods and stuff like that. And honestly, it wasn't until I went to Hawaii to just uh, let the air out of my system and start coming to grips with how do I process this amount of emotion that's in my body? Like, oh my God, the art of listening to your body. Well, if you want to have an art form of listening to your body, you first must have to admit what's in your body. You first must have to admit what's there in the first place. And so when I found the ocean and I found surfing and I spent time in that like feminine energy of Hawaii, that was what really shifted me. It it put me on a course of fitness and health. And of course, there was other journeys, which we can talk about if if they're prevalent, but Really, it was like experiencing something I had never experienced, which was a feminine energy that I could trust, a feminine energy that felt cool and that felt safe and that felt collected. Did you just feel drawn to go to Hawaii or was it a suggestion from someone? But I have heard that it's a very healing place. It also can bring up all your stuff. <laughs> like like Kauai can do that for sure. I went out there because I love, I loved and I still do love the ocean. Um, and I was very deep into surfing and shortboarding and longboarding. And so I just wanted to seek out that joy. I had not had a lot of joy in my life up to that point. And I just saved up all my money, sold all my things and made the sacrifice to just, what would it be like if just for six to 12 months, I just dedicated my life to, to experiencing something that I hadn't experienced, which was joy. Mm. I hear from a lot of people and it's, touted out there a lot in the personal development world that you just have to go and feel joy. But sometimes people are like, how? I just don't know 
how to access it. But it sometimes just you have to sacrifice to get joy. Sometimes you have to sacrifice things to build joy. Sometimes. Yeah, I agree. And there's part of this work in quotation marks that does require work. It requires you to be an active participant. No one else can do the work for you in my mind. Yeah. Um, and I think that you and I both agree that we share the story to say, hey, we did the work. We took the leaps of faith. We walked with fear and we sacrificed and we gave it a go. And this is how it turned out. Yeah. The big one that you said that I just I just lasered right in on was walk with fear. And I've been thinking, I've been journaling, I've been writing, I'm in preparations to write a book. And so I've been like outlining things. And one of the concepts that I think you and I have heard so much is the acronym of fear. Like maybe, maybe we've all heard, oh, forget everything and run. But I think it's different. Um, and there's also another adage out there where they they might say something like um uh false evidence appearing real. But I don't agree with those. I actually think it's it's more intelligent than that. I think fear is actually a beautiful intelligence that we have. And I think fear is really for everyone's attention responsibly. So it's it's fear is meant to get our attention, but it's not to be an irresponsible way that we engage with that attention. And so I loved what you said when you said, yeah, just walking with the fear. I think the key that we have to all do to walk with the fear is to just have some kind of awareness of our breathing. This is why I've been a breathwork trainer and facilitator for six years now. And there's over a thousand students in, in the breathwork program, Breathe, Breath and Wellness. Because in my own life, when I wasn't breathing, Jen, that really took me down a dark path. Like when I didn't know how to breathe and when I was breathing through my scalenes and my sternocleidomastoid and, and not breathing through my diaphragm, it was causing me severe anxiety and severe stress to the point where I, it even exacerbated the porn addiction that I let go of and and then that kind of got weaved into the ayahuasca story, which is maybe another part of our conversation. But case in point, I loved what you said that the walking with the fear, like we've got to all learn how to actually lean into the blade a little bit and be really uncomfortable. But in that discomfort, not self soothe to the point where we make it even harder. In other words, you know, Gabor Mate talks about the addiction being the opposite of connection. We cannot disconnect from ourselves so much in the process of, of integrating our fear or being friends with our fear or learning how to dance with fear that we harm ourselves even more. Yeah. I think a lot of people are waiting for fear to go away. And I feel like the reality is, is that it doesn't. So you do have to learn nope. to walk with it. It goes away temporarily and then it comes back with a different mask. Yeah. <laughs> it's just going to come right back. Same shit, different story. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah. I feel like that there is more you just touched on a porn addiction. So what are these other undesirable manifestations? There was mm. weight, a porn addiction. Yeah. Can you tell me. Um, so like I had said, and this has been, by the way, unpacked in many different types of journeys. So just for everyone listening or watching, like I would not recommend that you just take what I'm saying verbatim, have your own journey here. What I'm telling you has been over the course of 12 to 15 years of Vipassanas and spending 10 days, two times in a vision quest, fasting for a hundred hours, no food, just water, doing many psychedelic ceremonies, doing float tanks, doing uh, cathartic breathwork practices, going to emotional intelligence trainings. There's a lot here that I'm speaking from. So when I look back with compassion, I can say, okay, my abuse of sex 
as a way to validate myself, my younger self, was probably the highest form of the things that were manifested that were deleterious to my health. Abusing sex energy, not not allowing sex to be its sacred vessel, not allowing sex to be a true intimate connection between a man and a woman or however you want to um, associate with your partner. Like that was probably from 22, 23 onward for a good 10 plus years because I needed to validate. I need to fill what I thought had a bottom, but it never did. I needed to fill that void in myself that didn't get the attention as a young man from women, that didn't feel enough, that honestly, and most men that have experienced this, they're lying if they're not saying what I'm about to say. I had a lot of anger towards women that I wanted to take out on women, where I wanted to conquer women and be sexually dominant with women so that I could feel like I was powerful, which is actually the opposite of power because true power only comes from a place where you can be trusted. Anybody can force power. Anybody can do that. Look at our government. Look at the world right now. <laughs> That's a clear example of forcing power, but but there's resentment that happens there. And you know, I've done a lot of soul cleanup. I've done a lot of energy cord ceremonies. I've done a lot of, of forgiveness practice and loving kindness meditation to forgive myself for the way that I behaved and also to connect with the souls of all these women to ask them for forgiveness and to apologize to them so that I can clean up my karmic debt. And and really what's what I'm saying here is like Yes, that was one way that it manifested, but then towards the end of my journey, when I really knew in my in my heart and soul that I did not want to be that way towards women anymore, this is like my late 20s. I'm 42 now. Late 20s, early 30s, I got to a place where I, I consciously knew that I was not behaving in the way that was most fulfilling to my soul. Even though the trappings of my mind were taught by society that guys just hook up with girls and that's how it is. Because I was trained that way, I was conditioned. And I got to this point where I found porn because then I could get the quote filling of the well that, by the way, had no bottom. I could go fill myself with this fake intimacy, with this screen intimacy. Meanwhile, what my heart really wanted was for me to look at why I was watching, why I was behaving, and why I was doing all that in the first place. And it was because I did not feel like I was actually worthy of a woman's love or worthy of having it all. That was a phrase actually that came up for me a few times in, in, in different ceremonies. How am I going to do it all? Can I handle it all? Am I worthy of it all? The wife, the kids, the house, the business, the thrivingness, am I worthy of it all? Like I really had to go to the darkest part of my soul and it was connected to a question that I still don't know the answer of, but it's okay that I don't know the answer. And that was, did my father actually want me to come into the world? Did my father want me? I'll never forget. I was watching that um, clip of Will Smith on his show, The Prince of Bel-Air. And there was this really powerful scene where his father had let him down. He left his life. And, and Will looked at um, his caretaker and he started crying. And he said, why don't he want me, man? Why doesn't my dad want me? And I think if every man's being honest with a father wound, and there's hundreds of millions of us across the world, we all felt that. We all felt that in that moment. And that's what all of this was connected to. I was able to, to unpack this slowly over the course of a decade and really look back and go, okay, what he needed then was for me as a late 30, early 40-year-old man to go back in time and ride in a time machine inside of my own psyche and hold that young boy and hug him and say, I got you. Not only do I got you, 
but I really got you. Like I really got, I mean, I'm getting emotional just thinking about right now. Like, like that's what it was all connected to feeling alone, feeling not loved, feeling not wanted at the deepest, most root piece of my life was really the construct that my ego had created in a world where I could be in control as long as I did the porn, the women, the lots of drugs, partying, stuff like that. All the things that have infected our society through what my friend and, and guest on the podcast, Paul Levy, calls Wetiko. The Native Americans call it this dark energy that inhabits people without them knowing it. That's really what I was. And in some ways, I think we all still are. We're all learning how to let go of it. A, a byproduct of a sick society where there's not enough ways that you and I can have conversations like this, really get down to the root of what's going on and be honest about our behaviors and, and more importantly, the results of our behaviors and how we can take ownership of our part in the results of our behaviors. Like all of that was connected to, did my dad actually want me? And it's it sounds so simple, but it's not because the road to get back there for me was so long and bloody and arduous. But now I can get back there. And it's so funny. Like last thing I'll say, the universe has such a sense of humor. I I, I discovered this like three years ago and I felt it. I let it come through. And the answer was, huh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he actually wanted me or not, but whether he did or not, like he's still loved and I'm still loved. Like it doesn't matter whether he wanted to or not, because in divine orchestration, I wouldn't be here unless it was perfectly designed for me to be here. So just the fact that I'm here means that God, eternal, eternal energy loves me, omnipresent energy loves me. I don't mean a bearded dude in the sky, God. I just mean the loving thing that has always been, the creator, the thing that made us. That means I'm here. That means I'm loved. That means I'm supported. So I no longer need to go to the porn, go to the sex, go to the foods. Of course, there's other things that have come into my life that are teaching me, right? But but I can honestly say those core aspects, they don't hold me. They don't have reign over my mental dominion anymore because I've cut the cords by actually going back and seeing what's the truth. What's the truth? Yeah. And it's the story and it's going back into what I like to call the mess. And so many people will want to just sweep that under the rug and move forwards and focus on all the positive stuff. But I feel like it will always come back to haunt you. Again, same yeah. story for you to learn the lesson. And a lot of the time people will come to me and say, what is the meaning of this condition on an emotional level? And I say to them, well, it's individual, not one condition has the same emotional connection for every single person because we are yeah. all unique and you've got a different story. You've had different experiences, different traumas. And so it's the condition, but how do you feel about it? And what was the trigger? What were all the steps before this thing actually manifested? And so for mm. you, you're going back to that question of at two months old when your dad left, did he even want me? And that's right. the core of it to work on, right? Mm -hmm. That that and also, I mean, even before I I was able to be left, coming out, being in the incubator for two weeks, being born premature, being born less than five pounds, um, all these things. I mean, my soul really chose a doozy. <laughs> you know, like my soul wanted to experience some contrast. And by the way, like everybody's got their own lesson, everybody's got their own dharma, and everyone's got their own karma. But 
we can change. I'm changing my karma in every day. I'm changing my karma here with you being honest. Yeah. Honesty is the key that clears the karmic credit card. Like when I'm being honest, oh my God, it's it might be challenging at first and maybe still times, maybe sometimes it always will be. But but the more I can do that and own it, I remember the first few times I would talk about porn, I'd be so nervous. I'd be like, oh my God, people are going to think less of me. Like, how am I going to lead this wellness and wisdom mission? And then the more honest I am, the more people love it. So I, yeah. I think we all want that. We all want that essence. Yeah, absolutely. I desire unfiltered conversations. As you know, I don't edit this podcast and I need to make sure that I get people on who are open and transparent about their story because it's the easiest and yeah. it's the most interesting. It's the most real. It's like how many people are like, yep, they're checking a box as I'm, they're like, yes, okay, I've done five of those things. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that that's why I love what I do. That's why I love what we do because every single time I'm interviewed or I interview someone, there, there's some rich, really rich nugget that comes from it where I go back and I'm like, okay, that made my life better to hear that. That made mm. my existence more fulfilled, more rich, more, more real. By, by hearing that. I think when we hear the truth, it, it kind of sticks to our hearts, it sticks to our soul. And then we share that truth with someone else. And then we feel empowered when we share that truth. And then so do they. And that's how the ripples in a lake become a wave. And that's how change happens. Yeah. The intention and the energy is felt, even if the words aren't understood. Yeah. You can even like with my son, he doesn't really speak English. <laughs> He's 19 years old. And, but I, I, he can feel me and I can feel months. him. 19 months. Did yeah. I say years? Yeah. <laughs> he's an old he's definitely He's definitely not 19 years. <laughs> um, 19 months. And so he, he can experience me and I can experience him. And I, and I see the maturation in him, but with certain things, I know what he's feeling and he knows what I'm feeling. Like we don't need actual words to communicate what we're trying to communicate. It's really magical, by the way. Being a parent is so cool. So challenging, but so cool. Mm. I have a brief question. Do you have a relationship with your dad now? We do not have a relationship. Um, what was really amazing is that uh, before the birth of my son, I expressed everything in a healthy way that I wanted to express with him. And what came back was not respectful. And so I had done so much work up to then. And I had like really looked at my part in the relationship. I said, hey, here's what I'm sorry for. Here's what I can own. Here's the type of relationship that I would like to have. If you're willing to have this type of relationship with honesty, with healthy boundaries, please be my guest. I'd love to have you. And then it was pretty much crickets after that. And when I say crickets, it, it was an email back with um, a way of communicating where there's a passivity, there's not really a desire to engage in the truth. And when I say truth, I don't mean the subjective truth. I mean the objective truth, like certain healthy boundaries around communication or around ways of treating people or around words that are being used. That's what was expressed and it was not honored. So I had to say goodbye. And I, that was th almost three years ago. Um, so yeah, it's been about three years and, you know, in a way, like I, I would be totally completely bullshitting you if I were to sit here and say, Oh yeah, I'm totally good. Like there's nothing in there that feels bad. It's still, it's still like, it still hurts, but that hurt is actually what I've formulated in my own heart. That, that hurt is actually the fuel for me to love Nova so much and for me to be the change, actually break the link 
of emotional epigenetics where his way of being was learned from his father. And so I will not allow, it, it's not coming from a, uh, can we curse on your show? <laughs> for anything. Okay. It's not coming from a fuck. No, I won't be the person that's going to pass on the lineage. It's coming from a place of, Hmm, I will not allow this way of being this imprinting to continue anymore. It's kind of like Neo in the matrix where when he was done, he just came back from the death. He put up his hand and he just gently said no. And the bullets fell. Like that's the power that we all have in our lives. Once we're done being radically angry and trying to make the other person wrong and trying to get crazy about issues that we have no control about, like, but I feel like I, and we all have to go through that before we get to the place where we can just gently put our hand up and say, no, like I will not allow this to continue anymore. So the long answer to your short question is no, no relationship whatsoever. My prayer, my hope is that at some point he goes deep within himself. Now I'm not attached to this either because I've already made peace with that. This never happening, what I'm sharing with you. But my prayer is that he goes deep in his own psyche. He's willing to come to the table of connection with some kind of vulnerability, some kind of connection point. And he will absolutely be met with love, 100% love. But I have I have to care for myself and my heart and my family to not let that energy in because he has been taken over by Watiko. And he he's he's kind of like Darth Vader. And I think a lot of men might describe their father like this. The, on the outside, they've got the black shell with the wand and the oxygen. But on the inside, on the inside, it's when he died and he said, Luke, you know, you were right. I love you. Like, tell your sister you were right. I think that's within him. I think that's within my father. And I think it's with all men, within all men that were born and raised in an era that I'm just not connected to. Strong, silent, masculine type like John Wayne and, and all these movie stars that never showed their emotions unless it was anger or unless it was rage. That's within him. So, I've met peace with the fact that he may never come to the table with vulnerability. And I also just, I just hold that gentle prayer in my heart without it, without it being an expectation. Um, and it's so funny last night, I, I lead a men's group here in Austin and we were doing our traditional shares with re receiving and giving feedback. And that came through last night that came through where I just, I let out some emotion. I let out some tears and I said, why would a grandfather not want to be part of his grandson's life? what goes through how much pain could he be experiencing how much how much sadness how much re resentment how much shame i don't know who knows how much emotion that's constricting would any man or woman by the way would any human being need to be experiencing that would block them from a loving connection to their lineage i think he just needs more emotional intelligence like all men do and and all women do we all need more constantly because we're always evolving and so, yeah, I, I would be, I would not be in integrity or being honest with you to say that it still doesn't hurt, but, but that pain is a great teacher. It's a great teacher of mine. And it allows me to love and, and raise Nova, my son, and also the second baby in a way where that isn't passed on, not to shame my father, not to say, you know, screw you, Trent lineage. It's not about that. It's more about, okay, this stops with me. I'm going to be a generational pain breaker, cycle breaker, because I just simply can. I'm not better than them. They're not worse than me. This isn't about value. This is about awareness. 
And mm-hmm. so for me, it's if I have the awareness that I hold within me the power to change my lineage, well, then damn, I will do it or I will die trying. But I don't think I'll die trying. I think I'll just do it. Yes. Oh, there is just so much wisdom in everything that you've shared. And I hope that the people that I've worked with and the people who have got issues with their family and their bloodlines, just listen to that over and over again, because there is just so much wisdom, so much teaching in everything that you've said. I love that you've actually had the conversation, you've put in the action, you've taken responsibility, and you're now surrendering. There is no expectation. And being okay with the pain that's still being okay with it still hurting and not having expectation. That is a radical skill set. And once we've done the work, once we've had the the construct of the true work, then yes, then it's about surrendering into those two things for sure. For sure. Because intergenerational trauma is something a lot of people ask me about. And I find it interesting, and I think this is going to go into our conversation around externalizing power and where is our come from place and our intention is that so many people don't actually put the work in, they don't take the responsibility, and then they just cut, they cut lines of communication without giving any opportunity, whereas you're still open to the possibility that things might change in the future. And so... I actually think that sometimes using the words like intergenerational trauma can externalize the responsibility, externalize mm-hmm. the problem when actually, if we're not happy with how things are, the only person that can change is ourselves. And we have to choose that for ourselves. Wow. You just opened up like a black hole that we could jump into. I know. And we have so many things to talk about. No, it- but it's really it's really exciting too because I you remember earlier in the conversation I, I said when I was a little kid I always wondered why people were so mean to each other, like why adults treat each other so bad. That still is a question for me. But you know what's interesting is I I see that come through me at times. I see my shortness. I see my resentments. I see the way that I could be more loving with my son, with my partner, with my business associates, like. And there are times that I realize that on this, on this, really, it's an expansion and contraction growth trajectory that we're all on. We're all kind of in a cyclone at times. When I when I contract and I treat somebody less loving, or I snap, or I do something that, in retrospect, when I expand, when my consciousness expands, I can look down in the vortex and I can say, "Huh, that actually made me feel pretty shitty." I, I don't like the fact that I did that. It is in that vortex. It is in that constant reflection that I surrender to taking an honest emotional inventory of how I'm doing, how I'm showing up. And sometimes it's presented to me from other people, right? That makes me look in the vortex. That is what breaks the the generational cycles. And and also there's some other factors too. I think if you look at, you know, the work of Mark Wolin and he wrote a book, It Didn't Start With You, which talks about family constellation work or even if you start to unpack Richard Schwartz's work with internal family systems, I don't know if I really connect with that as much as I do family constellations. I think it's really interesting here because what you brought up is like something that's been lighting me on fire lately. Like I'm really into this lately because I feel it in myself. Why do I act like my father or like my mother, even when I think I have the consciousness or the training not to? Now, why is that? Like, why do I do that? I do that because there are still parts of me that are in the dark. It's called unconscious incompetence. I don't even know that I don't know. And so on the road to me being consciously incompetent and then competent and then unconsciously competent, 
The only way that I can do that is by taking a breath and having some type of emotional check-in, emotional intelligence process. But here's the, the kicker in my last part. Society, at least here in America, society is built to monetize off of people not taking emotional inventory. And it is Pinocchio and the island where everybody can come, get drunk, get fucked, play, spend, work, do all the shit that disconnects them from taking an emotional inventory, and they can make hundreds of billions of dollars. And when I say they, I mean the top 20, 30 people that run the world. You can get into Illuminati and, and, and stuff if you'd like to. We don't have to get into that. But what I'm saying is like the people that own BlackRock Capital, the people that own Vanguard, the people that run the central banks in the world, they hold all the keys, all the investments as, as to what goes into all the companies that disconnect us from ourselves, that disconnect us from taking the emotional inventory. And that is actually the biggest Wetiko, the biggest darkness in this world. And we all become, and I have, we all become hosts, unknowing, unwilling, if we really checked in, unknowing hosts of that dark energy because it's monetized through our discontent, through our hatred of self. Through Look at young girls on Instagram and look at the way that we all try to be so perfect all the time. It's because we're being monetized. We're being shamed and guilted into being monetized. And so if we're going to break generational cycles, we also have to include that in there as well. Mm, I do often question, because I've worked with some well, all the people that I feel like I've worked with have been amazing because they're willing to take a level of responsibility. But I do question who is in our government, the traumas and the experiences that they've had and the yeah. bias they might have to making the decision decisions that they do. Is it coming from yeah. a wounded place or is it coming from a place that is for the highest good of all? I think it's it's very obvious to me, and, and you could even disconnect my emotion and just look at the... If you ever want to know if something's true or not, go as high as you possibly can and look down. Look 30,000 feet into the results and the experiences that we've created as a society, and then ask that question again. The answer to me is 100% clear. The people at the highest forms of government and power, mostly, not all, mostly, they are wounded and they are leading from an unconscious wound. How could you possibly order the death of your own people if you yourself have not had a part of you die? How could you possibly launch missiles or want to kill other people or, or send men and women to die in the name of righteousness if you yourself are not so deeply wounded that you think that's okay? I mean, just use that as a construct. Like, that is to me the wildest thing that people are still impacting each other in that way. It literally reminds me of the lowest forms of nature when animals want to kill each other during mating season. It's it's a super low level consciousness. And, and one might say, oh, that's just the way it is. Well, then duh, that's why family imprinting is just the way it is, continues on and on and on. It's the same, whether it's war from nations whether it's grandfathers, alcoholics, then father becomes an alcoholic or sexual abuse or drug abuse, any kind of disconnection from self, it is a taught and learned behavior. It has nothing to do with that person and their purest soul inhabiting those ways of being. Nothing. Those ways of being, those addictions, those harmful and spiteful things towards others, they are learned from people who were hurt and broken themselves, hurt people, hurt people, healed people, heal people. But I, I think for whatever reason, you know, the creator brought us to this world to 
to go through the dark so that we can then have our karma be cleaned and have our, our really our worthiness be redeemed at some point when we choose. And that redemption comes from actually being of service to others, not from our ego. I can't be sitting on your show being like, look how cool I am. Look how much stuff I've been through. No way. Like the only way this is going to touch someone is if it's real, is if I'm really sharing, like, this is what I've been through. This is my purpose in the world. This is what I'm doing my best to do. And these are all the mistakes that I've made. Yeah. That's the only way we're going to break it all. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any other pain or undesirable manifestations <laughs> historically? You like, to, you like to get in there. I do. Yeah. I feel like this is going to be the last time I ask that question before we move on into psychedelics. I, I, well, I will say this. Like, I, I, I actually think I have a different view on pain. I don't see pain as bad all the time. Today, I did a cold plunge. We did a walk as a family. I came back and for three minutes, I sat in ice water. And people might be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why would you do that? Because it's, it's how do I regulate myself? How, how do I act? What's my way of being when I'm under pain, when I'm under stress? And by the way, that's you stress. There's a difference between stress and, and you stress. So if I'm, if I'm in distress, de-stress, then that means that like my life is truly in threat. If I'm under you stress, that's a positive form of stress. So I think like I like to put myself in situations where I'm experiencing you stress because that's actually really good training for de-stress when I'm in distress. So for me, I would say the the biggest ones I've already given you are those are pretty top of heart. But what else is in there as to what I'm actually still experiencing? I think really it's my it's my capability to be a financial provider for my family and for the growth of my family. But honestly, it gets better every every month. Like like it's still there the voice and the voice actually comes from a learned behavior by the way because I saw my father uh really stressed about money, my mom really stressed about money, the money story in our homes were like money causes pain, rich people that make money aren't nice, they took advantage of other people. And the thing is, is that money is like this pen, right? I could kill someone. I could actually take a life with this pen, or I could write a beautiful novel. Money's the same thing. I don't know why people can't see that. I didn't see it for a long time because I had such a strong money story. Money can be used for harm. And there are a lot of people, including the Federal Reserve, that use money as a siphon of, of energy and as a, as a puppeteer string of control. So I would say the money story that I've done a really good job uh, unpacking for myself and, and coming to terms with, the money story now is, now that I've made multiple six figures every single year, how can I get to a million dollars in the next two, two or three years? Like not because, um, Not because it's like a cocky thing, but it's like, I don't want my son and my other child and my family to know what it's like to feel that root and sacral chakra draining of financial stress. I don't think it's, I don't think it's conducive to their life. I, I would like to give that to them. I would like to give them an experience of life where they're stressed out about their purpose. They're experiencing pain about the growth that they want to step into or their endeavors in life. I want them to feel that stress because that can be really hard, but it's also really rewarding. Being so broke that you don't know where your rent's going to get paid or how money's coming in. Or I, I was raised on welfare, Jen. Like there were some months where we literally eat like government cheese and kick cereal, and like that's what we would eat. 
So I don't want my son, I don't want my family to feel that. And that is the driving force. That is the inspiration that is the fuel that keeps me looking at my money story. Like how, like we made the most money we've ever made as a company last year. And I'm like, great, how do we do more? But not from a place of like scarcity. You know, how do we do more? Because, wow, I'm like really, I'm worth it. I know that what I put out in the world and I know that how I help people and I know my family's worth it too. And so in the process of me moving in that direction, of course, old beliefs and strings are coming up, right? And so I would say that's probably another piece of what I am experiencing. And I think most entrepreneurs, most people experience that too. Mm, and it's as you get to those next levels and you realize what's possible, new wounds show up to be healed. And it's a little bit like when you have a kid is that you might've done all the emotional work, but man, there's such good triggers. And I'm sure with a second child on the way, something else will come up, but now you know that to embrace it all. And there's a lesson and there's an opportunity on the other side of it. And you know this because you're a mom. (laughs) (laughs) So so there ain't nothing perfectly safe or organized about being a parent. It is always going to bring you to your edge and it can bring you to your edge very quickly. Yeah. Very quickly. So I wonder on your journey that still continues is you've tried a lot of things. Have they always come from the right intentional space? if you get what I mean. I mean, that's a blanket question. I would say no, because I'm human and I'm a soul learning how to, how to come from a pure come from. Um, specifically, like I'm not knowing right now what will be the most service or what I could share, but, but I would say, yeah, like I think that's part of being a human as we learn when... Actually, there is something that just came up. There have been certain friendships um, since the the lockdown and the, I call it the CV19 theater. Since the theater had been playing, um, there were friends that I had to say goodbye to. And there were friends that said goodbye to me. It was very, very um, painful. And also even in business, you know, a lot of what I do in business, people people sometimes, not all the time, just sometimes will will come to me and befriend me. And then I really find out that they wanted something from me. They didn't actually want to be my friend. They didn't really respect my work. And so that's been an interesting learning curve. And and I I have had to reflect when I first started my podcast, 2015, 2016, maybe even some of 2017, I was that person. I was that person that would do literally anything to succeed. I would pretend to be someone's friend when I wanted something. It was because I felt the scarcity in my money beliefs and all the craziness in my own psyche of like not being enough, not having enough. And honestly, it wasn't until 2018, 2019, where I feel like God really cracked me open. Like, I mean, my life has not been the same sense in any way. Like I'm a completely different man, different human. Those two years were really like the ultimate crucible for me. I don't know why. Like that was my years, but that was the years where I got cracked open. Um, my come from was not pure before then. My come from was that I wanted to take more than I wanted to give. And um, I think that's understandable at times. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest it, I wouldn't recommend it to people, but I could I can look back on the 35-year version of myself and I could say, wow, okay, he really needed support. He really did not feel supported. And so he was rather than let his dream die, rather than let himself die, he was willing to do whatever it takes. So 
I think that's why certain people at certain levels of quote success, however you want to say it, like they resonate with each other because they know there's nothing that they actually need from that other person. It's more just enjoyable to hang out with them. Um, I think that is something we all can look at. I mean, I've definitely looked at that within myself. Mm. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about your psychedelic journey? Which one? (laughs) (laughs) Which one? You open the story. Go for it. All right. Well, look, before I share, I'm I'm neither against nor for psychedelics. I think that it's all about the the intention and the setting. If someone has been, because I'm going to share some pretty gnarly things and they may be uncomfortable to hear, but I think they need to be present. They need to be heard. If someone is going to any healing modality where they enter that healing modality or ceremony or space and they have already given away their power, look the hell out because you will vibrationally match yourself with predators or predator energy or Watiko energy that is going to prey upon you, that is there to actually teach you a lesson because you did not have the the consciousness to know that you don't go to a healer because you are so broken and you need the healer to heal you. You go to a healer because you want to have the access to the information and to the wisdom that is inside of you that that healer can help you unlock. And we've all heard that before, but like really embodying that is what I'm about to talk about. Yeah. So in 2017, actually it was in 2014, I did my my first ayahuasca ceremony and I was in a relationship at the time and I went to the ceremony and it was super wild. And I was like, I don't think I will ever do this again. This is so crazy. People throwing up and shitting themselves. <laughs> like it was wild, but there was this 30 seconds. There was 30 seconds where I went into the bathroom and for just that first time in my life, I felt this, this like being held by a grandmother that I had like never known. And, and that's the only way I could describe it. I was being held by the most loving, most nurturing energy that I'd ever experienced. And, and I think with, with these ayahuasca ceremonies or even ceremonies of any kind, any entheogenic ceremony, and even breathwork too, there is dark and light always present in ceremonies, always, because that's, that's why we're here is to learn how to decipher which one that we gravitate towards. And so without the proper context, ceremonies can get very dark very quickly. I'm not, that's why I'm saying I'm not neither for or against. I think they have a healing place. I do. But for me, it wasn't until 2017, three years later, where I finally felt the call to go back. And so I started to go to ceremonies and it was very eye-opening for me. I started to see parts of myself that I had shut down, that I had abandoned for a long time. And then it was 2018. And then I went back again in 2019 to a place down in Costa Rica, which just for legal ramifications, I can't say the name of them because I'd probably get sued. But um, the ceremony was so dark and the medicine that was being poured was not being poured in a very integrous way that I actually had what the Native Americans call a psychic break. And in a psychic break, you outsource your intuition, you outsource your healing power to something out there. And that's exactly what I did. And thank God, like truly thank God that I was able to come back from that because I ended up giving myself OCD for almost 18 months, actually almost two years, if I'm being super, super honest. Like it was, How did the it was about OCD two years. manifest? The OCD manifested in very violent, very um, 
intense sexual words and images that were coming in. And I realized that it was, I'll get to this in a moment, but I I realized that at the end of this, it was actually for my good. It was actually for my good. But the, the voices that I was hearing and the energy that I was experiencing, if you'd have told me this like five, seven years ago, that entities were real, I would have said, screw you. There's no way that entities are real. That's such BS. But they're not. Yeah. They're not. Entities <laughs> are real. And mm-hmm. entities are real because uh, it was only uh, at about the two month mark, I'd come back from the ceremony. It was two months of me doing all my tools the flow tanks, the breath work, the meditation, nothing was working. I mean, and I don't, if anybody's ever suffered from OCD, it is fucking crazy. I mean, you feel like you are out of your mind, out of your body, because you kind of are. You're being controlled and manipulated by a dark force. And so I, I went to a mentor of mine, his name was Paul Chak, and he really, really helped me. Like I'll be grateful to him for the rest of my life. He helped me so much. He gave me specific prayers. He gave me exercises to clear the energy. And it was another year of me practicing what he gave me before I actually learned to love what this was all about. I've, I don't know if people know this. I have, I have um, tinnitus, which is where your ear rings. And I've had it since I was 23. So I had already been through something that was very shocking for other people. But for me, I had to reframe it. And I reframed it that when my tinnitus is on, that means that I'm alive. So every time I hear that ringing in my ear, it means that I'm here. It means that I'm still here. It means that I'm lucky. I'm still on planet earth. Some people go absolutely insane from the ear ringing, but I don't. And I've had it now for almost 20 years. And I can honestly say like, that was my initiation. And then that led me to this ultimate initiation that I would never wish on anyone else. I do not wish what I went through on anyone because a lot of people, Jen, they don't come back. They never come back to reality. They are shattered, and then their whole life is seen through that shattered mirror. They never return, especially people that go way too far with LSD. So so anyways, when I got healed and I was in the healing process for myself, I would actually start to learn how to see and be a witness to the thoughts and a witness to the voices. And then I would ask them, what are you here to teach me? What are you here to teach me? There's only God here. And so if you're coming into my domain then you're only welcome in my domain if you're here to teach me something. And if you are not here to teach me something, then by the power of God invested in me, I ask you to leave and I send you love for the journey. You are not allowed in my domain. You will be casted into perpetuity in this space between worlds if you do not leave my space. And then I would constantly say, what's that? Did I have a message for you? The did the prayer have a message or did the did the dark energy have a message? Dark energy did it have a message? Yeah. Yes, it did. The dark energy. It's a good question. The dark energy's message was, "I just need to make sure that you're okay. I just need to make sure that you're okay. I need you to know that you're not as weak as these thoughts make you feel. You're not abandoned like these thoughts make you feel. You're not a sick bastard like these thoughts make you feel. You're not that way." And there were also some times where the thoughts that would come in were straight up dark and they didn't have anything to teach. And I actually did just have to say, you're not allowed here. There was a combination of both. So, But that's the true test of a protector. That's the true test of an entity because an entity can only inhabit someone where there's space for it to live. So there was something within me that was opening a space that really now I'll get to. And that was 20 plus years 
of me watching porn and having unconscious sex with women and like all of that needed to come out somehow. And so when it came out and when the entity attached, the entity was attaching because it wanted to make sure that it was gone. And so that's the beauty of the whole thing is like, is what the addiction is the source of the addiction healed? Because it's never about the drink or the porn or the sex. It's not actually about the action. It's not. And people might think, oh, I don't agree with Alcoholics Anonymous. I've never been an alcoholic, but I just don't agree with it because I think they outsource their power. And I think that I outsourced my power when I went to ayahuasca because I was like, ayahuasca, I, you know, I, I give it to you. Like anything that you need, like show me. Well, little did I know I was praying to all dimensions, right? And when you pray to all dimensions, you pray to to sometimes false gods. You pray to things that aren't actually real. And so it was in that me, it was in that choice of me outsourcing my power and not having an arbiter inside of myself that allowed me to sense dark energy. Cause I just said, okay, I fully trust whatever wants to come in can come in. No, that was wrong. That was absolutely wrong. I love how you say and take responsibility that you externalized your power because this is what I find a lot of people do on their healing journey. And I wanted to add that I've not tried any plant medicine and something that I try and impart and teach people is what is your come from place? What is your intention in doing one of my courses or wanting to work with me or doing someone else's course or going on a plant medicine journey or trying mushrooms or trying drugs is that can you always check in with yourself? Where am I coming from? What is my intention? And mm -hmm. am I hoping that this plant medicine will heal me? Or am I simply being curious? And I think that you've got such a huge gift for curiosity. But I I feel like you said it earlier, you've said it a number of times, is that all of the answers are within. Now, my belief is that plant medicine can help us unlock that. Yeah. It was only last year that I came across someone who may have done a plant medicine journey here in New Zealand, also can't mention any names, and I signed up for the wait list. And as the date got closer, I was just like, I, I can't do this. But one of my biggest fears was what if something happens? Like life is actually pretty good right now. I feel like I can access a lot of things, but what if something happens and I never come back from this? And it's still That's something. a valid fear. That's a valid fear. Yeah. And I think it's very valid. Through, you know, the the 18 months of OCD, that's that's huge. Yeah. And like I said, some people don't make it back. Like yeah. I'm great, I'm grateful that I made it back. And and to tie the bow on that last story before we before we jam on what you just said, I can honestly say, like, I, I'm really grateful that it happened. I'm not grateful for the pain. I'm not grateful for the way that it happened, but I am grateful that it happened. And maybe that's still work for me to do. Can I actually be grateful for the exact way that it happened? Can I? Mm. But I will I will say that the reason I don't wish it upon anyone else is because we don't have to go that deep that fast. I don't have to be in a hurry to outsource because I think the outsourcing will give me a shortcut. Anytime that I or we ever, ever, ever take a spiritual shortcut, mm. it actually turns into a long cut. It will yeah. be twice the distance and twice the pain anytime you are trying to know God or know yourself by thinking you are going to have a shortcut. And so I just wanted to say that. I'm also super grateful that 
I was able to take an honest look at porn and an mm-hmm. honest look at how I behaved because the last, the very, very last thing I'll say is we all micro traumatize ourselves through movies, through porn, and specifically men, when we watch scenes over the course of years or even decades, all of those get stored in the subconscious mind. Mm. And so when I was throwing up in that ayahuasca session, all of that was coming out. All of those scenes, all the disgust, all the craziness, like I had to deal with that. Anything that we do, we have to deal with at some point. Any behavior that we think we're going to get away from, the universe is always looking, Mm. always looking always looking. So yes, I don't think that you're incorrect with your intuition where you had the flag that said, Hey, this isn't right for me to do. Um, I think that's actually something that we should all trust. We should never go to any ceremony or any healing thinking that this will be the thing, you know, this is what's going to heal me. I'm going to give all my power away and then I'm going to be healed. Um, I think the come from is a lot different. I think it's very, very different. I find it interesting that people are willing to subject themselves to ayahuasca, vomiting and pooing in a bucket in front of a group of strangers, but they find it too uncomfortable to do the emotional work on their own. Well, because it's not as sexy and it's not as fun. <laughs> this is this is why people do combo as well. And again, like I'm not against these medicines. They have a time and a place, but when you have a what's called a peak experience. And, you know, Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler talk about this in Stealing Fire, their book about flow state. People are freaking hungry for the peak experiences because just for that moment, they can touch God. Just for that moment. Drugs, mountain biking, like um, jumping out of airplanes, ayahuasca. It's one thing to be in an exciting experience. It's another thing to use that exciting experience as a cover for your own spiritual bypassing. And to pretend that by you doing peak experiences that you're somehow more spiritual. You could do one ayahuasca ceremony and you could live the rest of your life integrating one ceremony. You didn't, you never have to go back. And I was told to never come back, which I never will. Mm. So it's a very esoteric world. I could sit here and say that I that I have experience in it because I do. But as far as like the objective truth, who the hell knows? Who really knows what's going on with those medicines? Who knows what's going on with DMT? And who knows what's going on with the tracuna vine and the ayahuasca? It's all all a big mystery. Mm. And I think the people hosting it, their energy, what they've worked through, the space that they they hold is really important as well. And that's where I've always been a little bit hesitant about any therapist that I choose to work with is... I want to have a good feeling about them, not just because somebody told me that I should go and see them. And I feel like this conversation is more to shed light and get people questioning, where is my come from place? What is my intention behind doing anything? Not just ayahuasca, DMT or plant medicines. It's with anything. Can you check in with yourself? And also like, this is really important too. This is awesome. We actually have to go through certain levels of outsourcing our power, not just with um, healing, but also with sex, with leadership, with relationship. We have to outsource our power because we have to feel what it's like when we do that. Unless we're just, not, not everyone, some people, they have such strong parental influence or they have such strong influence of how good it feels to be in your power that they may not need as much contrast as others. But I think to some degree, we all need a certain bevy of feeling that feeling of emptiness or feeling that feeling of disempowerment because 
we we are forced then to take the emotional inventory as to why we outsourced it in the first place. And that's where our power actually comes from. And I think that's really important to say because whether it's an ayahuasca ceremony or whether it's a ceremony or a coach or a healer of any kind, anytime that I'm seeking guidance from someone or something, I've got to still have this openness, but also a groundedness. So if my heart is open to new teachings, that's awesome. But I've also got to stay grounded to the earth and grounded to myself so that I know if my openness is being taken advantage of or my openness is being hijacked or appropriated for the healer or the ceremony spaces, dark energy to feed on what it needs to feed itself. So mm. there's a lot there, but that that needs to be said. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The ability to make grounded decisions is so important. And it's With an open heart. It's so hard sometimes because like you don't want to be too grounded and heart closed, but then you don't want to be so open and up in the clouds that that you give away your power. So there's, it's a constant learning curve, I feel, constant intuitive sharpening. Yeah. And you also touched on this again, to have the open heart or what I would say is to not go in with expectations. Yeah. Expectations are crushers. (laughs) They really are. Desire is good. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy desire. Desire is wonderful. But desire is different than expectation because when I, like if I expect you to treat me a certain way, it leaves you no space for just you being you. Yeah. That goes for any of us. And it's the same thing with with any healing modality. If I went into a coaching session with you and I expected that you were going to be a certain way or give me a certain result in that coaching session, I would actually be buried in the sand when you're giving me the lesson. It would just fly right over my head. Absolutely. And this is something that I say to people who join me, especially on a one-to-one journey. And I often say, I shoot myself in the foot saying this, but I don't want you to come in with expectation. I want to know what your goals and desires are, and those are possible. But when you have an expectation and you start to focus on those expectations not being met, not coming to fruition, you actually push away all of the stuff that you had no idea that was that was possible. Yes. Yes. And isn't that a safe space for you too? It is, yeah. Because then you don't have to be responsible for someone's success. I was just having this conversation with a friend recently. Why do we feel so responsible for other people's results and their successes? It's very Mm. interesting. Yeah. I know what's possible and let's just go on the journey and go and find out. And I usually work with people over three months. I'm like, the journey actually doesn't end after three months, but I hope I can show you what is available to you. And what can continue to be available for you beyond this container. Yeah. I want to ask you about your family. (laughs) You're a dad. You've got another one on the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Kind of laughing because I know we've got a little bit of time left. But what can you share with me about your experience of becoming a dad and the second time round? The second time around is is very different than the first, just like anything in life. Um, but but being a partner or a husband, just loving someone that's going through an experience of growing a life inside of them, it's so fucking wild. It's so wild because I don't know the first thing about really what she's going through. Like I kind of do. I, I can hold space and support and you know, I can uh, do everything I can from like a financial perspective and a 
touching perspective and an emotional openness perspective. But really, when it comes to letting her have her own experience without any of my fears coming in, I think that's the most important thing this time. You know, the first time, and with compassion for my old self, I could say, I didn't know it was going to happen. Neither did she. We hadn't been through that before. And, you know, what breaks my heart is that there's just not a lot of resources for new dads. There's not. I mean, dads going through pregnancy with their with their wives or with their women, like it's so challenging for the man because the way that you used to relate to your woman, the the way that you touch each other, this the time you spend together, her amount of energy, her amount of capacity to be in reciprocal energy exchange is so diminished that um that becomes something that I would say nine out of ten dads do not have it. they don't see it coming. They do not see that. I didn't see it coming, that's for sure. And so I was thrust into this added responsibility level with probably a 30 to 50% diminished capacity for reciprocal energy exchange. So in other words, I was giving more, but I was receiving less. Mm. And I think that is actually the biggest, most challenging, most radical maturation that happens for me and for men when we support our women birthing life into the world is not only is it not about us, but it's about how much I and we can serve what's coming and what's here. So it is like parenting in a nutshell is everything that you ever wanted for yourself, you can hold on to that. But what supersedes that is everything that is required by what you are the shepherd of, what you are here to serve. So you can hold what's meaningful to you in your hand, but sometimes during this process, I've had to hold it so close just so I don't forget it, just mm. so I don't forget what I want or forget what my desires are, even though they're not being fulfilled or they're not being met. And I think that's the part of being a father that no one wants to talk about. Nobody wants to talk about the dark side of maturation where you're meeting your, your demands, you're meeting your responsibilities, but what you're receiving in return is actually 50% less, sometimes more than what you were receiving before the increased responsibility. So it really takes a deep, anchor inside of your soul to say, not only am I not going anywhere, but I'm going to stay here and grit and, and grow my own emotional intelligence to start asking for what I need. And then on top of that, have the navigational lens to know when to ask for it and when not to ask for it, depending on what the situation needs. Because when you have a screaming child and when you have a tired partner and when you yourself are tired, you have to navigate those waters very carefully as a man because you can actually make the situation way more intense or way worse if you were to just, quote, speak your truth. This is always so funny when I hear people describe this. Oh, brother, sister, I'm just speaking my truth. It's like, no, you're just being an asshole. You're just not being mature. In a situation that requires maturity, you can hold on to your truth and then have the navigational mental awareness to know when it's appropriate to speak your truth or not. That's that's really what fatherhood has taught me. My husband say it's all about timing. <laughs> it's always about it's also about tone and pitch. Yeah. yeah. How it's about the words, it's about the tone. Can I say one more thing? I know we're getting low on time. This has been great. That's so good. So so what I will say and and the women listening might not like this, but I'm going to speak it. A lot of times when you ask your man questions, you need to make sure that you're not setting a trap for him. 
because how a man's mind works, and I've interviewed Alison Armstrong twice about this, and she wrote Understanding Men, and she's a specialist in emotional intelligence for women about men. So this is not my words. This is hers. It's also my experience. When you, when you set a trap for a man by saying something, and we'll use this as a simple one, do I look fat in this dress? <laughs> you are setting a trap because if the man is honest and you do, then you're going to get hurt. And then if he withholds and he tries to change the subject, you're going to figure out if he's lying or not. (laughs) And so, and that's just an example. There's thousands of questions like that, that a woman can ask to a man. Be careful how you ask your questions to your man, because we don't want to hurt you. We want to support you. But when you ask us certain questions that set a trap, no one's going to win. It's going to be a situation where there's actually going to be more disconnection than not. And so I would just, I would just offer that to the space. Like, you know, ladies, be careful how you ask your man these questions because it, 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 in our mind, we think about, and I'll go quickly here. We think about what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? Am I being honest? How will she perceive this? What will this create? That's where our minds go. It's it's like five, it's probably more than that, but those are the basic things. So it's never just like, ah, does this dress make me look fat? Yes, dear, it does. Cool. We're not talking for a day. Does this dress make me look fat? Oh no, baby. Hey, do you want to get some uh, smoothies? Well, what do you mean? Why'd you change the subject? So it's like, you have to be careful with projecting your own insecurity onto your man by a question that would never allow him to win. Yeah. I've also learned that as a father. Well, let's come back to, it comes back to taking responsibility. Yes. And having the ability to think and know, again, what is my intention behind this question? Absolutely. And it's, it's like that for us too, by the way. We don't want to set traps for our women, but I just, in my own experience, because I'm a man, if I was a woman, it'd be different. I'm a man. So that's, that's my experience is I'm on the other side of that 99.99999% of the time. Do you feel like you've been able to have more supportive question, um, conversations with other men other fathers now that you are a father because I come from a place of there are things that I think that sometimes you can only have a conversation with someone once they're in the experience of it. That's right. Yeah. I would say with fatherhood and also with pretty much every other subject that involves massive maturity and responsibility, you can really only relate to someone. This is why couples hang out with couples. This is why married people hang out with married people. This is why singles hang out with singles. It's not because they don't love each other. It's just that there's a vibrational match there. It's because there's a shared learned experience. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of more deep connections with dads. And I actually, I, I run a men's group here and it's not a paid men's group. It's actually just a group that I formed through word of mouth because I needed the support. I couldn't find a group that wasn't dogmatic. I couldn't find a group that wasn't trying to monetize. I just I just wanted to do real work with people that wanted to do real work. And so I created it. I created my own group and we've been doing it now for almost two years here. Wow. And it's been so nourishing because I get what I need. I facilitate the group in the best way that I know how. And everyone seems to be giving me feedback that it's working for them radically as well. And a lot of people have had major relationship changes and um, job changes and life changes in these groups. And it's because of the feedback that they're receiving in these groups. I think we all need each other. We all need community. So God, what would we do without community? I mean, we would die. We would die without community. That's right. We need, But we need intelligent reflection from peers, 
not just reflection. Mm -hmm. Because if everybody's just, quote, speaking their truth, well, then we know what happens there. (laughs) (laughs) And how are you feeling about your second baby coming on the way? It's been really challenging for me to connect with the soul of the baby. So I'm looking forward to actually holding the baby and connecting with the baby. Um, I think it's going to be beautiful. I'm excited about it. Do you have any different intentions around this birth? Yes. The intention around this birth is to truly embody what it means to hold a space. Like holding a space actually isn't about efforting. Holding a space is about removing all the obstacles inside of me that makes me think I need to effort. But when I'm holding a space, it just means that I'm emotionally regulated and I'm tending to what is needed with like a smooth hand. So I'm I'm approaching this birth in that way. The first time around, I didn't know what was going on. And by the way, like we never really know what's going to go on in birth, right? Who knows? It's, mm. Birth is wild. That's why it's birth. Yeah. Birth and death are wild. That's that's the origin of life itself. So yeah, that's my intention. Beautiful. And good luck with that. Thank you. The question that's coming up for me as we wrap up is, what are three of your biggest achievements in life to date? The biggest achievement is number one, becoming a father. I mean, that's the best. That's the best achievement ever. Number two, being able to live my dream, being able to be the host of the Wellness and Wisdom podcast and interview people who I think are making a difference and have that be my life. <laughs> that's as much as it's challenging at times with the the business and the admin and all the crunchy. It's so amazing. It's so amazing to be able to do to do that. And then the third thing is really just to know myself, like to know who I am, to know what what I'm here for, to know what that's all about. And I don't know the answer to that yet, but the fact that I even get the the privilege of understanding that or or of having the capacity to go down that route that's amazing that's i'm grateful for that i feel like that's an achievement um also like my you know it's funny my my first goal was to get a million downloads on the podcast i was like well when i reach a million downloads on the podcast like my life will change but when that happened it didn't yeah. <laughs> uh, and then even now like multiple 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 millions i'm like it's not that that made me different. It was in the achievement of that, that I became different. It wasn't me getting the number. Um, So that's something I would throw in there too. Yeah. That's beautiful. Some would say it's all about who you are in the process. That's right. Yeah. That's true. For anyone who might be struggling or experiencing a dark night of the soul, pain, challenge, what wisdom would you like to share with them? Okay. I'm going to close my eyes. As hard as it feels, as crazy as it feels, the sadness that you're holding, the grief that you're holding, the ultimate pain where you feel like maybe you don't even know how to go on, just know that when you are strong and strength doesn't mean how physically strong you are when you are strong enough to decide 
to just let these waves come in and crash against the shores of your soul and just allow all these emotions to move through your body when you have decided that you are strong enough for that and you make the decision that you're strong enough to feel all of your stuff just know that on the other side of that is this beautiful loving set of arms that is waiting to hold you to love you to nourish you and has been loving and nourishing you the whole time as you were deciding whether or not you're strong enough to face all these waves of emotions that you think you couldn't handle because you always can and universe will never ever ever give you anything that you cannot handle so just know that no matter where you are no matter what you're going through that you are loved you are supported and you are on the right path thank you josh that was amazing and i feel like people could listen to this over and over again as their journey evolves and learn so much from this you've got so much wisdom to share how can people connect with you find you and explore your work well i would start with our episode on wellness and wisdom so just go to joshtrent.com forward slash podcast and sign up for the podcast right there there's all kinds of free stuff that we give away and I give it away because my sponsors and the people that I work with love giving it away. So there's lots of resources for you there and um, sign up for our newsletter that's on the same page. So joshtrend.com forward slash podcast. Amazing. Thank you so much for gracing my podcast with your presence and for being so patient. I feel like we could talk about so many things. My yeah. brain always yeah, me too. over when I talk to people. <laughs> we could me have too, gone down too. a million tangents. <laughs> But I think we got the most of what needed to be heard in this moment in time. I think so. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Josh. There's a part of you that is excited about the year ahead. There's a part of you that knows where you've been in the year behind. But what is the part of you in the middle that knows you are already whole and complete and loved and accepted for exactly who you are? And what do you need to support that? To build a scaffolding of resources, people, supplementation, behavioral practices, anything and everything to remind you on a daily basis that you are loved, you are supported, and you're on the right path. There's only one place that I go, and that's joshtrent.com forward slash store. Whether it's home, kitchen, biohacking, sinus care, blood sugar, digestion, cognition, anything and everything when it comes to your wellness pentagon, your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and financial ways that you nourish yourself every single day, head over to joshtrent.com forward slash store. This is the only place for the best of the best wellness tools, resources, supplements. Forget about hunting around in the ocean on the internet. I've put everything in one place for you to easily find and purchase at a deep discount and you support the show. As you know, this podcast is brought to you for free by Wellness Force Media and myself. And so every single time you purchase something from the store page, you not only help yourself out and your wallet, but you also help the show. joshtrend.com forward slash store.